Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 72. Today we spoke to Louise Galvin, Ireland Rugby Sevens International, frontline physiotherapist and rugby pundit. Louise played Gaelic football for her native Kerry and represented Ireland in basketball before turning her attention to international rugby. She is featured in the Sevens and 15 side for Ireland with great success. Louise is the epitome of the sporting all-round high achiever and high-performance athlete. Listen to her share what makes this possible and what goes into it. She's not afraid of fear of failure and getting out of the comfort zone. She's definitely a woman that embraces new challenges. Thanks for coming on our show, Louise. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. We're joined on the line by Louise Galvin. We're very fortunate and grateful that Louise has taken the time out of her very busy schedule. I suppose, Louise, where we want to start with is, is why and how, how did you become who you are today? A real, a real beacon for versatility and high performance in sport. Hi, David and Kiran. First, thanks for having me on the, the show. You know, I often do get asked these sorts of questions. I think, number one, it's, it's the enjoyment. So when I think back to my youth, I just really, really enjoyed just kicking a ball off the gable end of the, the house, opposed to myself, if I was on my own or to my brother, or we had this old rickety basketball hoop off the turf shed, which wasn't regulation height. It wasn't even level. It didn't have a net anymore, but I was just out there after school every day shooting into it. And I got, no matter what the weather was like, I just got so much enjoyment out of doing both of those things. They're my real early memories and I still get that enjoyment today out of running around after a ball, albeit it's a different shape ball now, but the enjoyment is still there. And always bringing it back to team sport as well. I always just got huge satisfaction out of being part of a team. Um, and the older I got, the more I realized how beneficial, how important that was. So they're probably that's probably the most, when you strip it down, the most basic reason why I'm still doing it now. Very good. When did you kind of realize that, you know, you played basketball very successfully, transitioned into football? At, w- at what point through that story did you kind of go, okay, let's change the shape of the ball and let's try something different. Let's try rugby. When, when did you kind of realize that was something you wanted to try for a different chapter in sport? Um, yeah, well, I was living in, in Limerick. I was playing basketball and football. I suppose to kind of give it a, a bit of background, I grew up in a real GA house where football was definitely number one. Um, and I played with the boys up to under 14. Loved that, but there was no girls club. So I, I just stopped playing because it was just too far of a trek to get to any female team. Um, so then I just played basketball all the time because it was pretty strong in my school and loved that. But when I was 21 then, I was living in Limerick and a local club at home set up a team. So I started back playing football and basketball and juggling the two, still playing with Huskies, as you mentioned, and playing traveling down to play with Kerry as well. Um, in the summers then for a bit more of enjoyment I started playing a bit of tag rugby which was huge there out in Old Crescent in, in Limerick and uh, oh, I was class as well because let's be honest if you're a good girl you're you're 
top of the pile like you're getting triple points for a try so yeah love of my life and it was like back being under 12 under 14 where you're actually a really strong girl amongst the boys before puberty hits and they all accelerate ahead of you um so from that I ended up kind of UL Bowls were doing pretty well at the time they still are and the Irish women's team were starting to do really well they won the Grand Slam 2013 um, obviously went to the World Cup and had that brilliant result against New Zealand in 2014 and this was around that stage probably 2012, 2013 um, and people were like oh why don't you give rugby a go and I remember kind of half thinking like I'm playing basketball I'm playing football and as well what if I'm crap like you know I'm kind of know I'm half decent at this and you know probably my earlier career had a bit of kind of fear of failure around a, a lot of maybe if you were given an opportunity of oh, what if I'm not good enough um, but I ended up losing a bet to go down to Bose training and I went and of course I loved it um, so now the big problem was trying to juggle three sports rather than mm. rather than two. Um, and eventually, as things transpired, I ended up thinking, right, um, our basketball with our club, our well, national team as a basketball were not funded anymore because basketball aren't well into a bit of trouble. So mm. playing international basketball was not was not on the cards. Um, and our club team was kind of coming. We had a really really successful few years, and we're coming to a natural kind of an end maybe um and I still wanted to play football because we got into an All-Ireland final but had lost it in Co Park to Cork I lost a lot of big games to Cork over my tenure um so I decided okay I'm going to go football and rugby and try and manage both of them and then got kind of called into an extended Six Nations squad after something like five games um but still was incredibly raw and you know had a, a natural skill set that I could catch the ball you could evade someone you could run past didn't mind contact but still a lot of the technicalities I was way way off the pace um and the level of understanding so eventually Anthony Andy he was the head of um women's rugby at the time and still is asked me to come up and play sevens as they were targeting a lot of kind of transfer athletes anyway and although I'd played a little bit of 15s I was still probably mostly known as a as a transfer athlete and that was kind of the start of it so I left my permanent pensionable job in the regional hospital in Limerick as a senior physio to move to Dublin on an incredibly reduced wage because we were kind of part of the program was just started up to become a high performance athlete because I don't know I just thought this is I was coming to my mid to late well nearly late 20s I was like if you're not if you want to do it you can only do it now get the chance to train full-time professionally and if it doesn't work out I took a career break you come back after a year I was in a real comfort zone in Limerick. Um, I'd gotten a job there at 21. I loved it. I had loads of friends, both in the hospital and outside of life. But a little bit of me was like, God, you're not, are you at your, are you at, out of your comfort zone enough? Are you maximizing everything that you've been probably given and everything that you've worked hard for um, and the opportunity that's in front of you? So it was a bit of madness at the time. Um, but I think because it was so mad, I was very keen to make it work so that I wasn't coming back with my tail between my legs either. Um, and then through sevens, I got to play a little bit of 15s, um, but mostly obviously been a sevens international since. You've you've really embraced that challenge comfort kind of ratio. And, you know, it's a testament, obviously, your your mindset, how, how tough you must be mentally and determined because there you are, you're 21, you've got, you've got your job, you've got your friends, you've got, you're successful in sport, you're, you're good at those games. And then you said, sure, why not? Let's give, let's give that a go and see how I go at that. It's, you know, we have to acknowledge that. It's quite, quite amazing, really, that you, you went down to Bose having lost the bet and, and look, look what you've managed to do with that. It's great. It's great to hear. It's a real, something that can motivate a lot of our listeners when they hear a story like that. But I think kind of 
the key message I know you're saying there you've been successful I'm I've never felt that successful like I always think I'm a, I'm a keen participant I don't have a lot of medals or trophies to my name for all I've participated in and I know I've participated to a thanks high to level <laughs> yeah thanks to Cork um but as well, even being successful, like my earlier years playing Super League, I would have been a bench player a lot of the time. It took a while to get up to uh, a starting player. Um, and even then, we had such skill with, and such talent, which made us a successful team. But I was probably the bottom edge of that starting five. So that that was in basketball. In football, I always, not that I had a chip in my shoulder, but because I came into the county team late, never played minor, never played under 16. Girls didn't know who I was. They were like, where have you come out of? And the yeah, and... I think maybe because I, I always felt a little bit behind the top whilst at the top, it made me continuously dogged, continuously not complacent, if that makes sense, because I was close to the top but never felt comfortable at the top in any kind of of the sports I played. So maybe that wasn't a bad thing because it meant that I was constantly, maybe initially looking over my shoulder, but then getting mentally strong enough where I'm like, right, you have to keep working because... You, you want to be up here and you want to be better and you want to be a reliable player. You want to be a player who, you know, could be a clutch player when what hits the fan. Um, so I know when some people say, oh, you've been so successful. I always think, well, I haven't. Like I've, I've participated a lot, but maybe that kind of, I always think I was probably a bit dogged in that if I, I just wanted to make sure I was giving my all, particularly for a, in a team environment, like the motivation, the goal is always that the team performs rather than the individual. And sometimes that might mean your role is sacrificed. Or your role might be a bit quieter. Like a lot of the time in basketball, I was marking maybe um, a lot of my energy was spent trying to mark one of their best players. But if I can mark one of their best players out of the game, but I'm only scoring eight points, six points even, I don't mind because I'm fulfilling my role for the squad and we're going to win at the end of the day. And someone else is going to, you know, hit 20 points and that's fine, whatever, you know, that's horses for courses, that's team sport. Very good. I just want to go back to the fear of failure. And when you mentioned it, there's loads of examples here of when it could have been easier for you to back out, like the daunting task of walking onto the rugby team, the rugby training, when you've only been involved for a little while. Just for listeners and people who face into that fear of failure, is there anything you did to overcome that, say, the morning before or what got you over the line to get out there and just get going? Um, I think perspective is a word I use a lot, or I think in, in sports psych circles, they call it kind of a bit of reframing as well. Um, and that's like a bit of, I, st- I still use it with tournaments. It's a bit of, well, what's the worst that can happen? Um, and I, I probably had like a personal experience when I was 26 where I, I had um, a boyfriend of mine passed away from a brain hemorrhage, you know, very suddenly. And but that was a real was a key moment in my life for obvious reasons and it was an incredibly difficult time but I remember coming out of it and how one thing I learned from that that I brought to sport when I eventually got back playing to that level was nothing is ever going to be as bad as that so you know if I if we play terribly and I lose the game for the team or I've had a horrific injury well I've come through worse so I know that might be a difficult thing for listeners not everyone will have had that experience but people have had negative experiences in their lives and I know there's nearly that quote you know football isn't life or death it's much more than that I I said to myself things like I'm never going to cry over sport again because it's so not important I did I did cry over sport again but it took a while I cried over losing and over injury because it's still you 
you start to love it again you start to to need it and to want it but at the back of my head it was always this huge perspective of well look you've gone through something that's way bigger than that and and way worse and instead of again like not enjoying sport or you know let's say if we won a game or or even won a championship I'd often be thinking of the next thing or maybe like that or did I play well enough even though we won or you know but we didn't have an unbeaten season again my perspective slightly changed to you know we still won and actually try and enjoy the process and the outcome as opposed to trying to pick holes and everything maybe a little bit um so definitely perspective is a huge word that I use um in that no one's gonna die if if I miss a tackle there's a very big guy over in the U.S. called Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, who um, actually one of his turns of phrases that I tried to really wrap my head around over the last year, and I kind of get it, and you've kind of explained it there. He always says perspective drives performance. So he, he uses that an awful lot in his kind of motion, motivational talks that, you know, you're trying to give your best and perform your best and be your best and be there for who you need to be for, but... There's, there's always a lot of other things that are just as important or, or more important or not as important. So it's always important to understand the kind of perspective you have and how much that can impact your performance, if that makes sense. I think what's important is you mentioned that it's an ongoing thing. So you always reframe and sort of think back on the perspective. Some sort of messages that go out sometimes are, don't be afraid of failure. Failure is something you learn from. And once you accept that, you're grand. But you always have to resync that, I think, because you're always facing into that doubt, that self-doubt. Everybody has that, even athletes at the top. So I think that's a great message to get out to people that reframe, keep perspective all the time as well. Yeah. That's excellent. So let's let's talk a little bit about who did you look up to, or is there anyone you've looked up to in this career spanning three sports? Not saying you've been successful, you've you've achieved a lot in them and you've pushed yourself a lot in three different team sports is there anyone through this period of time that you've maybe looked at and admired as a role model or or a mentor that's helped maybe guide you or has it has it been all off your own back um it's it's an interesting question because back when I was younger the only female role models that there were were probably when I was really young now was Sonia Sullivan Michelle Smith and I remember thinking I'm not going to be a long distance runner I'm not going to be a swimmer um, so my role models would have been Kerry footballers, but male Kerry footballers. And I think what's hopefully the route we're going down now is that girls will actually have female role models in their sport to look up to. Um, but as I got older, then I, I know it's a, it might seem like a bit of a, a cliche, but I just really look up to Katie Taylor. Um, I've been lucky enough to meet her uh, once or twice. And it it's she's so quietly formidable. Um yeah, she she just wants to be the best at sports. She knows how to do it and she's doing it. And any of the kind of extra media or commercial stuff that she can make use of, she does. But from what I can see, she does it to the bare minimum and never to take anything from from her sport. Um, her values, while, you know, not everyone is going to be have the same maybe level of Christian values, what you have to admire is that they haven't changed their, her values. And no matter what has happened to her through various Olympics, through going professional, through being, you know, the biggest female boxer in the world in, in a sport that can be quite, you know, have quite varied values. She hasn't changed. She has maintained her ones and uh, she has 
chosen, I suppose, to sacrifice a lot. You've seen her documentary and maybe almost feel a bit, she, she looks a bit isolated when she's traveled over to America to train, but she's done it for, to be the best and she is the best. So I just think for anyone, and I don't mean she's my female role model. I mean, she's my role model. And I think for anyone looking up any young person in Ireland, um, she is someone who could be anyone's role model, whether they be male, female, 10, 20 or 30. Now, you definitely come across as very humble here, Louise. There's absolutely no doubt it's it's coming true as, as plain as day. Say, say if I have a young daughter. I don't yet, but hopefully in the next couple of years I have a young daughter. And whilst you might want to say it, you might well be a role model for, for my young daughter. Kind of what would, how, how do you identify yourself? Or maybe if, if someone's looking up to Louise Galvin because you, you've managed to bridge the gap, play different sports, you've managed to go and be a pundit at the Rugby World Cup. You know, you, you've, you've managed to achieve quite a lot. So what, what would my young daughter or somebody five or six years of age growing up in Kerry or Limerick see when they're looking up to Louise Galvin? I want to kind of put you out of your comfort zone a little bit, someone who's humble, but I want you to try to answer that question. Um, well, no, to, to an extent, I would agree with you in that because of the opportunities I've had and that maybe the public space that I've been afforded at times that i I kind of feel like I'm a bit of a role model in terms of it would be part of my consciousness when I'm maybe doing the way I behave, the way I act. Um, like sometimes I'd be at home and my family um, might be like, oh, you pop in to the chipper for me or something. And I I feel like, no, I don't want to because I don't want to walk out, even though it's not for me. I'd, and it might be stupid, but I'm like, I don't want to walk out of my local town chipper holding a bag of stuff and someone walk, driving past going, there's that one who says she's a high-performance athlete. So I probably do have it a bit in, in the back of my head. Um, what Kieran, do we, we had Matter Cod last night, didn't we? Matter Cod and Chip and Mars Bar. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with every now and again. Everything is everything in moderation. But if I was getting I'd probably get exactly someone else to get it for me or get it delivered to the door. Delegation. Um, <laughs> uh, but... I guess I'd like them to see someone who is hardworking because if you work hard, opportunity will knock. And I think that's that's what happened in my case. Like different opportunities arose at different stages because you put yourself in a position where you're ready to take them as opposed to, you know, you're not doing something hoping that this window will open. And there is an element of luck and timing to all that. But if you haven't put yourself in the opposition, like every training session I did um it did it with full intent and uh, never don't cut corners don't be the one that ever cuts a cone don't be the one that ever leaves before the coach says go because you're only cheating yourself and if you are that person from a young age or from being a young adult at training well then you're never going to be the type of person that makes it to the top anyway um but also don't be afraid when when an opportunity comes to step out of your comfort zone and like you've already said, I know it's kind of a cliche, but we do learn in failing. We do learn in losing. We do learn in making mistakes. Um, but if you never put yourself out of that comfort zone, you might be the star player at Division 3, but, well, how would you get on in Division 2? You know, put yourself into the, that that next step up and don't expect to be the star straight away, but start to kind of build, build gradually. Um, and always then, always have, you know, your your, your morals and... and I would say be humble, but um, when you're at the top, 
always be aware that there's someone below you or that, that there's people at the edge of the team that maybe aren't getting any game time number we'll say 12 in the roster or number 26 in the football team or you know down the line in, in the rugby team I mean at sevens um our culture is huge hugely important because we have about 24 girls training full-time um 12 play at a tournament 13 usually travel um because we just travel so far that if we pick up an injury or sickness you have someone to step in pretty much straight away and as the season goes on, oftentimes in previous years, the opportunity for people in the second 12 to get into the first 12 is less and less unless there's injury. Because you come back, let's say you're playing once a month, you travel, you're away for a week, then you've almost a down week. Then the team is almost self-picked nearly for the next one. You know, it's, it's harder to break in once you get out of that preseason situation. But it's so hugely important that the main 12 and the main core group that leadership group are always conscious of the efforts of number 20 to 24 that have no hope of probably playing even with injury because you need number 20 to 24 feeling their self-worth and their self-value and putting in their full effort if the whole team are going to perform um so i'd like to think that i'm one of those players that's always conscientious of everyone that they're putting in their full effort because if you don't have that full squad buy-in squad culture and again in sevens it could be hard you're not just going to a game for two days and coming back you could be going for 10 days you could be going for double legs for two and a half weeks there can be a big disconnect between the main squad and the squad that are left at home either rehabbing an injury or just not selected and when you come back if that disconnect is still there and you're trying to work on something it's it's not you're not rowing in the one direction if there's kind of a two-team mentality i've really i've really come off point there about um what your five or six year old that, that's probably a bit too in depth for your five or six year old girl to be looking into now. No, she's, <laughs> she's got she loved all that. Yeah, we didn't interrupt on purpose there. That was good. That was good. We let you go. Hey, folks, thanks for listening to the first part of the episode. We hope you're getting some value from it. What we're going to do now is take a break. We're going to listen to Dan Lawrence. Dan Lawrence was one of the first guests we had in the show in episode 10. Dan's going to tell us a bit about what he does. Hi guys, I'm Dan Lawrence, Head of Performance at Matrim Boxing and founder of Perform365. You can find out more about what I do on the social channels at Perform365 and on my website, www.perform365.life. That's all for me. Looking forward to the second part of the episode. I'll let you get back to David and Kieran. Just in terms of moving back to the three sports, was there any foundational skills or anything you felt that contributed mostly to you being successful at each one? Well, I think pace, which is something that is very slowly dwindling in my in my <laughs> case. Uh, like I, I think in, in stats, I think it's more in soccer that if youth soccer players like you can't you can't teach pace. So if if someone's not, I think that's one of the main predetermining factors of of people becoming of boys become successful soccer players. If I'm right from research, is how how quick they are when they're younger. Um, that's certainly one thing, but, uh, I actually think like a lot of people don't understand unless they've played the, how good basketball is as a foundation sport. And we've seen a lot of basketball players who played to the high level kind of, um, use their skills, particularly going from basketball to GA, um, like the, that peripheral vision, that hand-eye coordination, but also using your body because it's not a non-contact sport. It's just quite a defined contact sport. So how you use your body in a tight space to create a bit of separation from you and a defender. Um, 
and that kind of using being able to pivot off both feet, use both hands. I think basketball is actually a really, really good foundation sport for that. Then obviously Gaelic football certainly helped with things like your your footwork. Whether you're trying to evade someone in any of the sports that I've played, you're trying to do the same thing. You're trying to shift their center of gravity. You're trying to feign with a shoulder or with a step. And that's the same in football, basketball or rugby. What's different is what you have to do with the ball at the time. So in football, you have to hop or solo every three or four steps. In basketball, you obviously have to constantly dribble the ball. And in rugby, you can tuck it underneath, but the defender can completely chop you from the ankles down, which they can't do in the other one. So, so there are differences, but at the end of the day, how you try and evade someone is pretty similar in all of them. So that kind of movement knowledge, that movement awareness, and defensively from the other side of the ball, you're obviously trying to stop them. You're trying to watch hips, center gravity, and then whatever depending on each sport what you're what you try and do next but that very basic trying to evade someone is kind of the same in in all of them it's just the the perimeters of um of the the court or the field are different and and obviously the rules of how you do it there was a recent sports science review on ronaldo cristiano they were looking at his jump height speed and things they tried to track his eye movement and compose an analysis on how he evades people. And it seems like he predetermines, subconsciously predetermines where their hip, knee and ankle alignment is to try and shift that weight of gravity. So wow. you might have a bit of that as well. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I feel like I evade less and less. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely like hopefully once I finish playing sevens, um, I definitely would like to think of going back playing a bit of club basketball, club football, because one of the negatives, um, obviously having to up sticks and move province and everything was was a big jump. But probably my biggest, um, once I got my career break from my job, the biggest hurdle I had to jump was signing a contract that I couldn't play any other sports. Um, that was the hardest thing to do. So I'm one thing I actually am looking forward to is when I'm, I'm not looking forward to leaving high performance sport because it it is a bit of a joke, but I'm looking forward to getting back and playing some of the other sports that I, I used to play and maybe playing, I say play for a bit more of enjoyment and not, not being as serious, but uh, as, um, as a teammate of mine in basketball used to say, even when she was on my team, she put in a gum shield. So I don't know if I'm ever really fully relaxed. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely do look forward to, to playing those sports again because I just have such fond memories of playing them. Doesn't sound like she's going back to physio anytime soon. If you're on <laughs> well, I, I still uh, no, I have my competency. I'm, I'm actually very fortunate. I love come up here in Dublin outside of training days. If we come back from a trip and have a few days off, um, one of the hospitals here, um, I go in and look, which is great because when I talk about the perspective and reframing, if we've had a crap tournament or I'm carrying an injury or form isn't great, and you're feeling a bit sorry for yourself, I'd like the next day I'm I'm in a hospital working, and I could be up in ICU or I could be in the oncology ward or anywhere in a hospital you don't belong kind of snapping yourself out of being sorry for yourself because you have a, you know, a, a grade one calf strain or something like that. You know, it's, it's, that's a brilliant place to go for, for a perspective and for realizing that your problems are not that big a problem. So no, I, I definitely keep, um, keep my, my toe in the water in terms of my physio work because it, well, it, it affords me extra income, which is obviously important, but keeps my confidence up. And as well, I actually think, coming like being in a high form sport can be very all consuming and I think athletes are incredibly selfish people and I include myself in that bracket because everything is about the sport you play um I know I have a big family of a lot of nephews and nieces 
like christenings are nearly put around my training schedule, which is ridiculous in a way when you consider the amount of people being affected by my schedule. But it's kind of they want me there. That's the way it nearly has to go. Um, so it's really good to go back and work in a hospital environment. And I've been lucky enough to complete my master's part time while in the program as well. So I like to keep myself busy and also just have that awareness of maybe being a bit older, knowing that although I'm highly privileged to live this lifestyle at the moment, it's not forever. And I'll have to go back to the real world soon and get a mortgage and do all those real life people. things. Looking across the sports, here's a quick one that I'm interested in. Who is the most impressive athlete you've ever played with or you've seen up close? I think sometimes you're, you're always like, it's the most recent sport that you're in that often stands out because you start to forget maybe who you played with. Um, I think in, in terms of basketball within Ireland, anyway, Rachel Vandervall, um, who I just mentioned to you off air, is, is still playing in her mid-30s with GB and in Spain and actually just did her ACL, but is someone who I know will come back even stronger than that. But um, just how she moved, because I think being a physio as well and being look, you know, having such exposure to high-performance sports sites and strength and conditioning coaches and almost these movement ability coaches, I just love athletes that move really well as well. And she is someone who just floats off the ground, but has that kind of explosiveness as well. And the skill level and the mindset and that team, that teamness about her to go with her. Uh, in sevens, we have a, this incredibly, she's a powerful butterfly. She was um, dubbed by our SNC at the time. And that's Amy Lee Murphy Crow. Um, last year, like if she was, you know, sevens is obviously still in its infancy in Ireland, but last year we we came yeah, something like eighth, I think, on, on the table um, on the World Series, and she ended up being the overall top try scorer in the HSBC World Series, first Northern Hemisphere player to ever get it. Um, mm-hmm. She ended up on the sevens team of the tournament at the end of the year. Now, women's sevens has gone ridiculously um, competitive, and the skill level from even when I started playing in 2015, 2016 to now it's jumped up some amount. So for her to excel in what I can see is an incredibly competitive field is massive, but no one here in Ireland really knows about it. But she's incredibly, so she's obviously incredibly fast. She starts off as a sprinter. Um, she runs over nine meters per second. But what she's added her game beyond that, because speed isn't enough in sevens anymore. You can't just stand out in the ring. So her contact game, her game awareness and just how tough she is. And the thing is, in other teams, they have two sprinters. So they'll sub one off after they've done a length of the field try and put the other one on. We don't have to. Lee plays 14 minutes. So to be that kind of player for us and to score as much as she does, considering she's so well marshaled by other teams because we have less you know, threats at that level, is just phenomenal. So from seeing her train day in, day out, um, certainly Amy Murphy Crow is someone that I'd really admire from that kind of just pure physiological, like incredible um, athletic point of view at the moment. We're coming towards the end, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask you three difficult questions. Let's call it the big three, D-Wade, LeBron, Chris Bosh. Okay. What's your legacy going to be? What's the legacy you're going to leave? If you're looking back, you're finished as a high performance athlete in 10 years from now, let's be optimistic. What's, what's the legacy you're hoping to leave to all young aspiring athletes growing up in Ireland and outside Ireland? Well, I think um, sevens in particular is uh, like when, when I started playing, it's still quite a, a new sport that it is now. And we were slowly improving 
then everyone else is improving. So we're, we're kind of in a, a bit of a difficult position in the moment um, where we're, we're feeling a bit stagnant and the main golden ticket with sevens. And one of the reasons I transferred over is that it became an Olympic sport. So I hope when we qualify for the Olympics straight up, um, I can look back and say, well, I was one of the kind of founding players that created this squad um, that took a big risk and took a big kind of financial risk to maybe get the program up off its knees to a competitive program um, where obviously, you know, fair play, the RFU obviously backed it and funded as well, but you needed players who were willing to really stall their career to to do this full-time because it is a full-time sport. Um, and that within that, that's the kind of real on-field stuff. But in terms of the off-field stuff, like I became um, the first, one of the first female members on the player executive board of Rugby Players Ireland um, and one of the reasons is to get our women's seven squad represented on that. And I someone who looked, who's looked back on that. Not that the, I blaze a trail because again, I just feel like I'm there playing, training, trying to make myself better every day, but that helped create a culture on and off field that that program, the sevens program will flourish in years to come. And when I look, when, when it happens, I'm not going to look back and be jealous that, oh, if only I was there then instead of, if only, if only I was there now instead of then, I'm going to look back and say, I don't care who knows or not, but I was one of the people that helped create the foundation for these girls to flourish now, be it on a, a world a world series or a Olympic stage. So within sevens, definitely, I, I would like to think that I'm, I'm leaving behind um, a, a, a squad that are humble and hardworking and have a really strong culture and a, a team ethos and a team culture that's going to be successful. Well, that's nearly answered the second question, which was give us a big goal of yours, but that sounds like it's an all-encompassing goal. So that's, that's really great to hear because that's not just about you. That's about so much more than you, creating impact for a lot of people. You you're very much have embodied all the principles, traits, characteristics as to how we would define a high-performing athlete. Never mind the fact that you are in a high-performance sport. Everything you've done over the last over, throughout your throughout your life has brought you to a place of high performance. So I think it's only fitting that we ask, what does high performance mean to you, Louise Galvin? It isn't necessarily always about money invested, which is I think what people initially think of. Um, because I've been part of team environments that have been completely amateur from a financial point of view, but have a completely high performance mindset from the coach down to the players involved. Um, and even in terms of UL Huskies, that's a team that I'm certainly thinking about there. Um, like James, our coach there, James Weldon, you know, regardless if you'd five or six players of training, which was a rare time, normally we'd really good numbers. The training session, it still didn't descend into just a few shooting drills and a bit of crack and leave. There was still everything, t- drills timed out, a focus. It was a chance to work on individual skill level. That was a high performance culture mm-hmm. and mindset around that team. Though I suppose when it does come to a professional level, it certainly does, does encompass that kind of medical support um, that facilities which at the moment of the RFU we have out in Abbottstown are just phenomenal. We are so privileged and I'm so delighted going in there training every day. Um, but again, it's so much part of the mindset. It's whether you're coming in to improve as an individual and as a team every day. And unfortunately, high performance as well, whether again you're part of an amateur or not, it's not just what you put in when you're on the pitch or in the gym. You kind of have to live and breathe it. So like, again, if you're if you're going having that that chipper you know, 
once a week plus a Chinese another night and another takeaway another night um, and not getting your sleep like you know when I look at now all these kind of recovery suites that are popping up I mean it's great because it's showing where people's mindset are at and that yeah you need to recover more and it's all about the you know the boots and the compression skins don't get me wrong we have all that they can help but at the end of the day high performance is like your nutrition it's getting your eight to nine hours sleep a night it's getting your hydration right and like the sleep and the water they don't cost anything water's free in the tap sleep is your choice what time you get to bed and trying to switch off and finding ways of doing that but both of those together far outweigh all the other one percenters added up so I think high performance is knowing those things being aware of them and living by them 95 percent of the time and yet having the flip side is also knowing when when to step away from it when to have blow off a bit of steam and when to maybe have those friends or that that kind of group of friends that are not going to ask you about your sport you can completely step away, refresh, come back and live in it again. Louise Galvin, you, you're someone that tells people because of what you've done to push themselves and get beyond that comfort zone and challenge themselves. Perspective, hugely important. That's something we need to really remember from, from this talk you today. And, and don't forget those keystone habits, those big bedrock foundations of what makes performance, that it is about sleep, eating well, recovering well. And um, what did she say at the end there, Con? The most important part was make sure we go off to the chipper at lunchtime today. <laughs> wasn't it? Louise Gavin, thank you very much for coming on today. We've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Lads. Thank Thanks, Neil. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.